You are listening to an Irreverent Podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends. Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness. And we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. And this is Reverend Anna Galladay. And we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for all of us to get our hands dirty. Pastor. Dr. Robin, how are you? Here we are again. Here we are. Also, I just love seeing you. You do? Yeah. Yeah, thanks. I, I know that I know that people who are listening to us don't get to see us. I know, right? But right now, but right now while we're recording, I get to see you yeah. and I kind of like that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, we're looking at each other across the waves, across the uh, internets, and uh, yeah, we get to see each other. You did your and hair. Wearing- you did your hair today. Well, it's because I'm in class this week. Oh, 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 right. So I got to look presentable. Yes. And you're wearing one of my new shirts. I am. And I'm trying to get you to make two more. I know. It's on my list. I have a very big list. (laughs) I mean, the ideas that I come up with, they sell. Yeah, no, I I don't disagree. I just, I'm just, so I... Uh, for those of you out in podcast land, most of you probably have heard me talk about this. Like one of my side hustles, um, as Dr. Robin has mentioned, is that I sell um, design and sell snarky and activist centric t-shirts and apparel. Um, well, the f- tell them the name. Tell them the name. The name of my company is Bias and Bourbon. So yeah, atti- which we both atti- are. Attitude and alcohol. That's that's yeah. my uh, that's my my mo. Um, we right. We're both biased, um, and we both love bourbon. But festival season is starting for me soon. So right. whereas normally I would have started. So I have a booth and I pop up at music festivals and pride festivals. And whereas where I would have normally started selling in may and then heavy in june for pride festivals all the pride festivals got postponed to the fall this year so right i am in like i'm just i'm looking a- across my studio at the piles and piles of boxes that i have of both printed inventory and blanks that i still have to print um, just to get ready, um, the first pride that I'm going to is in a week and a half. And so I'm, uh, you know, just frantically trying to, you know, stock up on all my shit and, you know, have enough yep. stuff to sell. And so I'm a little like another, like, I love your shirt ideas. Yes. And I'm going to do it and it's going to be badass. And also I'm like, oh my God, I'm swimming in shirts right now. <laughs> yeah. Now, now for those of us who aren't as crafty, artistic, or butch as you, because <laughs> um, we all know that I'm none of that, mm-hmm. um, tell us how long does it take to print one shirt? 
is it like is it fast or is it time consuming yeah, or so what like what does it look so like it's interesting the printing part is actually the fastest part um it's the prep that takes the longest so okay. um you know the 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 great thing about uh apparel is that it's um once you decide on a style a style shirt and then the art that goes on it um you know you're putting the same thing on maybe a hundred pieces of the same thing, but right. it's a hundred pieces split between, you know, a multitude of sizes. I, I sell from extra smalls and I'm, I'm committed to always stocking three X's in my store at festivals. Um, I don't, there's, there's nothing about any of my stuff that isn't, um, you know, perfectly fine on small sizes and big sizes. And I, I'm really mm-hmm. committed to that. And so, it's the, so I've got to just get it already. I've got to count out all the sizes for each one. I've got to, right. you know, like I've got to order all the blanks. I've got to count them out. Um, and then the printing actually goes pretty quickly. Um, uh, but I, I joke with folks that I feel like I fold t-shirts for a living. That's right. Like, it's the prep and the folding are like, make, they just make me want to roll my eyes into the back of my head. Yeah. But it yeah. is, it is the most fun gig that I have. Mm -hmm. And my little shop is 11 years old this year, which is, wow, is a miracle for small businesses. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, a lot of small businesses don't make it as long as I have. And I've been really lucky that I've been able to keep my, my overhead low and do all this out of my house. And, um, and that I am, I am a creative so I can do all my own design work which, I mean, it helps. It helps right. when you don't have to outsource all the pieces and parts, right? Um, but I'm, you're, you're a creative and you do all your design work and you also do all my design work. True. But this is something that's exciting that you don't know about. Oh, tell me. I, I can't wait. I am adding a line of hats to my pride line, a line of trucker oh, hats. Really? And I have just finished making about 75 trucker hats in a variety of colors and like two-tone color blocks. And I am putting, um, I am putting embroidered patches on them. Uh, The pride flag, the trans flag, the non-binary flag, the ally flag. Like I've got all of these Mm -hmm. really great um, hats that have, uh, that are emblazoned with, um, you know, the same kind of pride that um, a lot of my impa- apparel is. And so I'm really excited yeah. that I'm adding hats this year. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see it. I I don't know what my plans are for the Pride Festival that you'll be at the day after my birthday, um, you know, because our boyfriend will be here. Yes, he will. But... We might venture out to the festival. I would love it. Yeah, I would love it. To see your setup. Yeah, I'm going to be at the Franklin Pride. Franklin, Tennessee is having their first Pride this year, and I will be set up there. So if any of you Nashville listeners want to come over and see me and say hello in Franklin, Tennessee, I would love that. Speaking of people, festivals, large crowds. Yes. And COVID. Yes. 
I just feel like we need to have a frank conversation about we do. the state of the world. We do. And before we do that, friends, let's also, we want to make sure that you know this. We've, we've updated it on our website, but we have decided because of the growing COVID numbers and the pervasiveness of the Delta variant that we are postponing our Austin event until the spring. Um, we will give you the dates as soon as we know them, but it's just not safe right now for folks to be doing a lot of traveling. And we want to be mindful of not just um, our own health, but the health of those that would be gathering uh, to, to hear us do our live podcast recording. So if you were planning on coming and joining us in Austin, please just stay tuned. We'll give you the, the dates uh, for the spring shortly. Um, but do know that we are postponing Austin because of the Delta variant. And so that brings us to this mess that is um, accelerating. Where do you want to start? <laughs> well, I just I just wanted to say uh, that this was a hard call for um, for me to make. Um, you know, Texas is my home. I was really looking forward to that being the place that we take the podcast. Um, we've we had a great lineup of people who are going to join us for the podcast. And as I was talking with the pastor yesterday, um, Pastor Natalie Webb. You know, it just, I, I know you said this, that, that you'd be mortified if you got someone sick. I, I, like, people are still dying from this. And so, even even if I went and didn't get sick, and we know the transmi transmissibility rate is very high, I would also be mortified if someone got sick and, you know, I'm, I'm hearing from people who had COVID, they don't know how they got it, but now they have long COVID, which are the remaining problems right. and disabilities that come. And, you know, this is, this is something that I am having to sit with, um, how often do I go out? Where do I go? Do I wear a mask? You know, initially when the vaccine was was released and rolled out, I think everybody thought that the vaccine would not only prevent us from getting sick, but it would also prevent us from carrying the virus. And now we know that that's not true. And so, you know, as someone who is trained in moral philosophy and ethics, I'm thinking about what is my responsibility right now, right. July of 2021, what is my responsibility? Right. And so I've decided, my partner has decided to cancel all of our tra remaining travel of the summer. Um, not to be on an airplane with 150 other people who may or may not be vaccinated and to reduce our exposure to public places. Right. That means that I don't get to have a lot of fun. I mean, unless the fun is I'm having on the internet. Right. 
which that's a whole nother podcast episode. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, I mean, th- so there's, I think there's, a, there are multiple layers to this challenge, right? There is the fact that just here in our home state, um, we both are in Tennessee. I think I assumed, now I recognize very incorrectly, that the majority of people, not everyone, I didn't, I didn't assume everyone, but I assumed the majority of people would be anticipating a vaccine, um, excited to get the vaccine and to use it as a way that they cared for one another, cared for their family members, allowed themselves to get back into the world, to do work. We are, Our state only has 38% of the entire population that has been fully vaccinated with both vaccines or with the Johnson & Johnson that only requires one. 62% of this state has not been vaccinated. And and and, and 62% hasn't been fully vaccinated. Some people may say, well, maybe they got the first vaccine – True. Yes, some of them did, but that only increased the number to 45%. So 45% mm-hmm. of our state has gotten one vaccine. That means 55% of the people in this state never set foot in a vaccine center, in a CVS, in a Walgreens, in a Walmart, did not in any way, shape, or form seek the vaccine in a way that um, that that they, that has been made available to them. Right now, I recognize there are there are problems with with transportation. I am sure that we have um, people in our in in very rural areas who are who are who have had difficulty getting to a place where they could be vaccinated. But you can't tell me that 55% of the population of Tennessee, where the four largest cities of Nashville, Knoxville, Memphis, and Chattanooga uh, occupy four very different geographic locations within the state. Mm -hmm. You can't tell me that, that there are people who give a shit and are still not going to get their vaccine. It's, it's, it's just, I, I really expected the numbers to be different. I, I expected mm-hmm. there to be 20, 25% of the population that said, you know what, I don't trust it. I don't want it. Right. It's a government ploy, whatever, whatever their, their, you know, theory was. Mm-hmm. But 62% of Tennesseans, I, I, like, I just don't even know what to do with that number. Well, and two things have transpired. Correct. The COVID the COVID rates have increased one thousand four hundred and eighty three percent in the last fourteen days, mm-hmm. and the government has fired the outreach person for vaccine outreach. The Tennessee government, yes. The Tennessee government, yes. Um, those two things are really important and correspond to attitudes about preventative care, 
and and vaccinations. Right. You're correct. It's um, and I don't know what to do about that. Yeah, it's it's highly problematic. You know this this vaccine. Um, what's the name of the office that she held again? The uh, I don't know. I, I, I can't. I can't remember her, the technical term of her office was, but I mean, she's been pretty vocal on on news outlets for the mm-hmm. last week about how problematic her firing is, and she has a paper trail, and this is partisan politics. It's it, right. it has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that Governor Lee was irritated with the fact that she was speaking up about Tennessee's challenges around right. vaccinating the state. Um, but, you know, what her departure does is limit our capacity to uh, encourage vaccines in any area in Tennessee, because she is the vaccine um, coordinator at the state level for HPV vaccines mm-hmm. for, you know, teenage teenagers for she's the vaccine coordinator for our, you know, Measles, mumps, rubella, blah, blah. I don't have kids. Mm-hmm. I don't know what all the other acronyms are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I have to think that those that those things will not not get used. Like there are still going to be doctors that are that are giving those vaccines and schools that are requiring kids, you know, have those vaccines to to attend. But just to, to get rid of a position that is so critical right now when we are in the middle of a pandemic, like this pandemic isn't over. We're still right in the middle of it. And mm-hmm. and Governor Lee thought it best to just get rid of her and force her to force her to shut up and and not be a part of of the work anymore. Yeah, the silencing the I mean, I see this as the Catholic the the Catholic how do you say the word? The um, the, basically the demonization of freedom, mm. the Catholicization of vaccinations. Yeah, and the the fact that we're removing someone who has helped curtail HPV. Yes, between sexually active people that disproportionately impacts women. Correct. People with and 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 people with uteruses. This is this is this is an assault on freedom. I think freedom and agency. Yeah. So so that's that's. I mean, you know, our low vaccine numbers in Tennessee are one piece of the problem. And 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 let's be honest. You know the the um, the vaccine numbers are low across much of the south mm-hmm. um the the lowest the states with the lowest percentage of vaccinated people include mississippi um arkansas alabama tennessee um there is absolutely no reason for us to blame the the lack of vaccinations on these humans. I mean, I don't want us to, to, you know, be highly critical of a population based on a certain demographic area, but these are areas with historically underfunded public health systems. 
Um, they are areas where there is no safety net for healthcare providers. You know, they the areas where um, if they have healthcare providers, they're lucky to keep those healthcare providers. Right. There are cultural trust issues with medical systems that have been born out of racism and classism and sexism and and phobias from from the time that this this country was built. And so it's not it's it shouldn't be lost on us that 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 these are areas where we have a low number of vaccine rates. Right. But the concern is if we continue to partner those low vaccine rates with these underfunded public health systems in southern states with state governments that do not take seriously this Delta variant, we are going to continue to have people die on our watch. And I just I just can't understand why in 14 or 15 months we haven't learned better. Well, and what I'm worried about is it seems that there's I've been doing some reading and it seems that there's going to be a pandemic of the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Mm -hmm. So I know that the government, all they care about is opening up the economy and making sure social capital keeps flowing. Right. We actually don't care. We are actually not pro-life. We actually are not, we don't care about human flourishing. Correct. So what do we do when we have the next iteration of the pandemic of the unvaccinated is is this going to become another like opposition in human life is this going to be another thing that conquers and divides yeah well i mean we are already watching what people are terming virtue signaling with those who are are vaccinated continuing to wear masks in public spaces Right. I mean, there there is absolutely no reason for anyone to shame another human being for attempting to take care of someone else. Mm-hmm. And I am, you know, I'm in a I'm in in an even different kind of class of vaccinated people than some because I have actually recovered from COVID. So I have those. Um, that immunology built into my body, and I am vaccinated. So my chances of getting the Delta variant are extremely low. But we know a ton of people who are vaccinated, mm-hmm. and 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 the numbers are continuing to go up. Vaccinated with either one or both of their vaccines, and are catching the Delta variant. Many of which are having asymptomatic or mild symptoms, but some of which mostly people with pre-existing conditions are getting very sick. Right. And I'll be damned if anybody is going to guilt me into taking a mask off simply because I am quote somebody who can't get the Delta variant and can't get sick again. One, I don't know if that's true. I don't think we still have enough research to know that I, I can't get it. I know that my percentage, my chance of getting it is extremely low. But for goodness sake, why are we giving people a hard time about continuing to wear masks? Right. 
for for those who are vaccinated with two shots, the vaccine is roughly only 64% effective. Correct. That is really scary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my numbers are more like 96, 97% um, based on the vaccine and my current, you know, immunological response. But I don't like that. It absolutely makes no difference to me. I, I am. I just can't like I, I there's this there is a there is a, a, a virtue signaling problem. There is a, a government problem. And then I am concerned and you have mentioned this on several occasions. I'm concerned about this trust variable mm-hmm. that this is creating with us as humans. Well, and and I'll tell you what prompted me to say that. I was texting with a friend of ours who said this to me. I just want to go to QDP, which is the queer dance party here in Nashville, and make out with strangers. And I'm like, you can't trust people. Right. So now, I mean, people are so hungry to be with people that they aren't thinking about the consequences of what it what it means in this moment in 2021 to be in large groups right so we're you know we're like okay well then we won't see that person right if 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 people are going to large groups and not practicing distancing i don't know that i could be around them right and and what does that what does that ability to lie about your vaccination status or your um, you know w- whether you've you've contracted or haven't contracted COVID in the past what does that say about us as as humans mm-hmm. as people who are called to be in community together right I mean I, you know I. I think so. I don't even know how I know this stat, but it was in some pastoral care class that I took several years ago. So it may be a little different than this, but it is it is estimated that 25 percent of people lie about consequential things every day. Mm -hmm. And upwards of 75 percent of people lie about inconsequential things every right. day. I would surmise that COVID is consequential. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some people would deem it to be inconsequential. But if we have a population who is who has the capacity to be dishonest about their whether they have have been vaccinated or not, where they've been, who they've been hanging out with, how many public settings they've been in, right. whether they've been masked or not. Um, I, I, I just have this, I don't know, I'm, I'm just, it makes me feel so sad for us as a, a species that is called to grow and be in community with each other. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't give a shit if you lie to me about whether you ate ice cream every night for the last right. week. 
but I do care about whether you were in a public space and could potentially be the carrier of a virus that has killed millions of people. Right. How how have we become people who have such who have such a lack of care for one another? How have we arrived at this place? Well, you know, the same thing happened during the AIDS pandemic that people consciously had sex with people who were HIV positive and had AIDS. And I've heard a lot of different arguments that it isn't about safety. We shouldn't be wrapped up in the medicalization of safety. But I am not ready to die. Right. We, we are... It just feels, yeah, it just feels so problematic to me. I am, I am a, I am a human with free will. I am, I identify as, you know, someone who follows the teachings of Jesus, who calls me to be in community, but more so in care for Mm. my neighbor. Um, We have a system of government that is working against all of us in in any in any kind of way that allows us to be productive and 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 liberative in our in our personal politics and yet there are minor things that we can do as human beings to maintain a level of care mm-hmm. for one another um, regardless of what kind of systems we are under the thumb of um, and we are we are walking away from from that capacity to be that for one another. Um, I hear you when you talk about this fear about a pandemic, um, like a, a pandemic versus pandemic um, long term effect that we may see as we see. Uh, d- different kinds of coronaviruses continue to permeate the the country, and quite frankly, as the world continues to warm, right. viruses have the capacity to live longer. You right. know, the cold, the colder we are, the the less likely viruses are to to stick around. You know, everything we are doing is contributing to the assumption that this will not be the last coronavirus that we, that you and I see in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. Um, And as humans who are in their forties, I mean, you know, that gives us another 40, 50 years on average to anticipate at least another coronavirus, another pandemic of some kind um, that is going to, to affect us. But I feel like we have, we, we are looking away from the, the, we are looking away from the problem because of the discomfort it causes us. Right. And there was a really amazing um, study that was written in um, late last year and, and the title of it really bothered me. 
Um, mm. But the title was The More Who Die, The Less We Care. Mm. And Paul Slovak, who is a, a researcher at the University of Oregon, looked really deeply into kind of what human and environmental change has done to the way that we perceive um, things that are happening in our, in our world. Um, but with, ev and one of the things that he calls out is that with every single genocide, we say never again. Mm -hmm. With every single every single um, mass murder that happens, we as a as a human population say that's never going to happen again. But then it repeats itself and it repeats itself and it repeats itself. In 1994, you know, 800,000 people were murdered in 100 days in Rwanda and wow. the world watched and nothing happened. And finally, over a number of years, we said never again. The exact same kinds of state led killings have happened in the last 10 years in the Congo, in Myanmar, in Nigeria. And we as a human population in general are not intervening. Mm -hmm. um, we have hundreds of thousands of people who are without clean drinking water every single day. In this country too. In this country too, exactly. And, and we are doing nothing about it. And Slovak suggests that there's this um, effect that causes a disconnect between our values and our actions, and that it's an implication of us in this nuclear age. Oh. Um, he calls it the prominence effect. And he says that prominence is like an attentional spotlight um, so lives not in the spotlight are ignored no matter what their number is. Mm. And that this prominence effect, you and I who are part of the prominence, because we are, you know, privileged, privileged English, you know, living in, living in, we are housed, we have vehicles, we, you know, have, have capacities that, that many in this country and in this world don't, um, that, that this prominence effect is the spotlight that shines on us. And it's because we shine the spotlight on those that are like us that we ignore the numbers of all of the others. Mm -hmm. But how sad is it that there are statistics that actually are proving to us that the more people who die, the less we care? Uh, I would love to read that article. So please send that to me. And if any of you want to read it, I'll post it in the in the show notes too. Um, the the other thing I'm thinking about related to this is does the prominence effect, and I don't know if the article talks about this, does the prominence effect shift when people with prominence are impacted? in some way. So for example, when rich white people have a problem at their local school because of resources, they may be able to fix it so that children don't suffer. When rich white people have a medical issue and because they have social capital to pay for a procedure, they're less impacted. 
Well, what well, what happens when those who have prominence begin to be impacted? Are is there is there some way to galvanize the moment? What does it take? What what is that? What is that linchpin that moves us from? Um, from the problem being invisible or one that we are less caring about to one that actually matters to us because you know it's it's like it's like it's like leprosy we we ship lepers off to to an island so they're unseen they're invisible and untouchable right so we are not we are not um impacted by that right but but we are now living in a situation where we are all being impacted in some way, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, psychically, psychologically. Correct. So at what point will we begin to make different behavior choices? Yeah. So I can tell you that this, um, this research that, um, Slovak is doing does not kind of dig that, that far into, um, kind of the results side. Um, it's a, there's a lot of science in the report that, um, that I read. And so of course some of that like goes like way over my head. Yeah. Um, but one thing that became very evident to me is that, news and social media play a really a really play a vital role in informing us about these threats mm-hmm. they are they are the way in which we um hear about and understand what's going on in the world and that it's then incumbent on us to better understand the significance of the numbing Mm. Um, that we find in reports that involved a greater, a greater level of morality. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, you know, it's a question of, are we, are we watching or consuming news and social media that actually challenge, um, or anticipate a greater level of morality or ethic out of us? Mm-hmm. Or are we, have we dumbed down our source of, of data and our source of news to a, to a, a a baseline level that allows us to have as many feel good stories as it does critical ethical stories. Um, so that we, so that we feel as if we come out of watching the nightly news without being in an existential crisis. Yeah. Um, emotion and ethic and, 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 actual empathy is the only thing that is going to transform us. I mean, this is my opinion. It is the only thing that is going to transform us from people who um, allow the prominence effect to be a part of our day to day and, and, and instead move us into, to, to a place where we actually give a shit about each other again. Mm -hmm. Um, But at what point does that empathy and care create such fatigue in those of us who are empathetic in the first place that we can no longer sit with the complexities of, of feeling that so deeply and then needing to do things so, so clearly Um, every, every activist that you and I know um, everybody, everybody we know that's ever been in the streets 
that's ever done the the hard work of community organizing, that's ever done the the work of um, trying to you know solve um, houselessness for for humans. I mean, you name an issue, everyone we know that is involved in that work um, has to be really really careful that that kind of compassion fatigue doesn't overtake their lives Mm -hmm. and make them numb to absolutely everything else. And, and so I don't know what the balance is. I don't know what the sweet spot is that allows us to be people who continue to see the death and destruction that's happening around us. Well, I said this, um, you know, on, on this podcast, on other podcasts, I've said it, in talks that I've given, we no longer know how to be human with one another. And it's because our moral compass is so skewed to be attuned to ourselves and our selfishness instead of care for community or care for the other. And you said something really important earlier when you said you're called to be in community, but you're called to care more mm-hmm. like the primary calling in this life is to care correct and i think that we are failing to be human with one another because we are failing to care for one another i we could look at immigration as an issue of failing to care for the other we can look at this pandemic as As an example of failing to care for one another, we can look at insurance, the privatization of insurance as a symptom of of a larger problem. But fundamentally, we are failing to care for one another. And I don't know how to wrangle people into a political practice of care. Right. It's in it. I think it feels daunting. Mm-hmm. I know it feels daunting for me. And I think if it feels daunting for me, it's got to feel daunting for, for some of the rest of you. Um, I'll never forget a quote that I heard Mother Teresa uh, speak. Uh, she said, if I look at the mass meaning the, the, the massiveness of the need, I will never act. Mm. But I look, but if I look at one, I will. Mm-hmm. And we talk about the mobilization of care and this mobilization of, of humanity in a way that, you know, that we are to, to be with one another if we want to, to be a part of the world that we envision. And I think it becomes daunting for so many people. It becomes this grand, this big, massive hairball of a problem that none of us feel capable of fixing. And yet it really, it sounds so trite and it sounds so simple, but it really does start with exactly where you are. Mm-hmm. How do you find the capacity and the willingness and the energy to deeply, deeply care for those that are around you, for those that are in your neighborhood, for those that live next door and across the street? Not that those, not all those that live in the entire town that you live in, but how do you start to care and to really allow yourself to be guided by empathetic ethics, to care and to have compassion for those that are immediately around you? Yeah. 
because that empathy effect is contagious. When others are shown empathy, they recognize how to then practice empathy with others. Mm -hmm. Every act that you do has the capacity to then move on to someone else. And so if you are like me and you think it's just too big of a fucking problem, which I, I so often get stuck in this, like, there's nothing I can do about it. I Like, why even try? I always think about that Mother Teresa quote. Yeah. If I look at the mass, I will never act. But if I look at one, I will. Then that's our call. Yeah. To pay attention to the particularities. Yeah. And instead of the universalities. Yes. And the particularities really are the easy ones. Mm -hmm. Like it's the low hanging fruit for us. Yeah. Um, it is much, while it may feel, it may not be as comfortable, but it, I mean, every, everything you need is right around you. Um, and so, you know, how do you, how do you guide yourself in a way that then allows your, um, your empathy to be passed on in yeah. bigger and bolder ways Yeah. to then ultimately create the world that we want to live in. Yeah. Another possible world is truly possible. It is. When we pay attention to the one. Yes. Well, friends, um, thank you for being on this journey with us today. Um, this this was a much-needed conversation, one that Dr. Robin and I knew we needed to have, and we weren't exactly sure how it was going to shake out. And I don't know that any of us, either of us, re realized that we would end up here. Mm. Um, but um, thank you for being with us this week. Remember to follow us at Activist Theology um, all the places that you are uh, listening and, and socializing. And let's not forget that by the time we post this, it's going to be the day of the book cover reveal party exactly. for my next book. Exactly. Yes, friends. So if you are listening to this episode the day that it drops, which will be um, July 26th, you need to pay attention to the activist theology socials um, at 5.30 p.m. Pacific, 8.30 p.m. Eastern, because we are going to be hosting a live book cover reveal of Dr. Robin's brand new book, uh, Body Becoming, and it is going to be hosted by the amazing Pete Holmes. Yeah. Pete Pants. It's really exciting. You guys need to pay attention. You need to listen. Um, plus, Dr. Robin will be giving um, some information on how you can pre-order and get in on those uh, details. So do please um, listen, watch, share the book reel party. If you come to this episode a few weeks late, go back and go back and find it. Yep. Um, it's dropping on July 26, 2021. Now the book, now the book won't be out until no, March of 2022. Party. Yeah. yeah just so we're just, party. we're just revealing the book cover. Yeah. We're going to show the book trailer yes. that will be available. Uh, Pete Holmes will be hosting the party. So we'll be in conversation. The book comes out in March 2022, and we're hoping that our Austin trip will be around the yes. book drop. So we're just releasing the book cover and the link to pre-order. Yes, perfect. Well, friends, we are um, we're glad that you're with us. Don't forget, as we reminded you, um, we are postponing our Austin gig. So if you're planning to join us in Austin, 
move that to your spring calendar, likely in March. And until next time, Dr. Robin. Let's get free. We want to thank you for listening this week. We encourage you to share this podcast with your community. If you enjoy us and our work in the world, please give us five stars on your podcast platform. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.com and click on podcast. We can only do this work with the help of you, our listeners. You have no idea how much even a small monthly or one-time gift means to this work. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by Delta Ray. Our sound editor is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. I get my hands dirty. You are listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends.